Imagine being successful to the point that by the age of 38, you'd built a company, sold it, and now no longer needed to work another day in your life and retire. What would you do next? That's exactly what my guest, Carl O'Hare, achieved for himself. Carl shares how he managed to retire at the age of 38 and what drove him during that time. Carl then goes on to talk about what was like after he retired Now, a few years later, he found himself in a low place asking himself, is there more to life than this? This turned out to be the gateway to a journey of self-discovery, deeper connection to those around him and sharing his light with the rest of the world. Again, there are clear examples here of how events and stories that form the fuel that drive us to our success can also be the hurdle we need to overcome in living a full and meaningful life. Carl is a wonderfully open and lovingly energetic man who provides a wonderful insight into the reality of what many daydream about. So enjoy, Carl. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Is making enough money to retire at the age of 38 everything, or is there something else to life? That's what we'll be exploring today with my guest, Carl O'Hare. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bryn. So, you're a pom, like myself. Came here in 2014. Why Western Australia? Uh, my brother lives here. Um, and my dad. Right. Uh, my dad came out first like 30 years ago. Oh, um, really? My parents split up when I was 11. Um, he uh, used to work in Saudi Arabia and ended up living in Perth, Australia. Uh, and my brother at 16 came out as well. He didn't do so good at school. And uh, he wanted to... Um, my dad said, look, why don't you come out for a, a better life here in Australia? You know, you probably got a better chance with no exams here in the sun than you do in England. So my brother's been out as well since he was 16. He's 42 now. Um, and we were coming out on holiday. We'd come out on holiday to visit my brother. And we just fell in love with the place. And on the fourth holiday, we were sitting on Cottesloe Beach, uh, me and my wife, having a glass of champagne. And she said, um, wouldn't it be amazing if we could live here, you know, move our family here? And at that time, I said, well, that's a big ask, you know, I'm not on the skilled visa list. I'm not a teacher or a hairdresser or whatever you need to be to get here. Um, I'd have to go home and somehow grow my business, find someone to buy it, uh, and then find a way to come up to Australia, um, which happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I made that commitment and then we ended up here. So we came here 2014 and All we right. love it. So we actually came here for um, life reasons, not work. We just wanted to live here and, and yeah. uh, raise a family here. Awesome. And um, is it home now? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. We absolutely love living here. Um, it took, I mean, I, I settled in immediately. Um, you know, I'm a bit of a um, social comedian, so I'll just fit in anywhere where I go and find happiness almost straight away. Um, and I was lucky because I had my brother here with his friends. So I just kind of fell into the group of um, mates, you know. Um, so I had people to go to when I needed that. Whereas Susie took a good, honestly, about three years, right. um, you know, to stop thinking that maybe we could go home or, you know, maybe she hasn't found that same group of friends here in Australia that she had or she mm. left in the UK. Um, but, um, yeah, she, she found her community and her tribe and roots. Uh, she put roots down um, yeah. about two years ago, yeah. So mm. now this is definitely, definitely home, yeah. Super. It does take a little while to stop that comparing, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. For me, I had no problem at all. Um, You know, at all. I just looked at Australia like this amazing, you know, new, Mm. exciting place. Um, I just sold my business. So, you know, I wasn't just moving to Australia. I was moving to Australia and able to do whatever I wanted to do do there. You know, I didn't have to come and work. Um, So um, I was just super excited about this new life, which was part of my move. It was a bit different for Susie. Um, You know, Susie's life... um, 
you know, didn't change that much. She was a mum with three kids beforehand and she moved to Australia. So um, uh, she, uh, and she had a, a bigger, I guess, a closer uh, group of friends and family than I mm-hmm. did. And yeah. so it was more of a pull for her. I think it always is. You hear that, that, um, that the wife, you know, or, or certainly the, 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 the mom or the woman certainly normally struggles mm. a little more um, than, you know, men do. Men, you can put men anywhere, can't you? And they'll make mates and, <laughs> yeah. you know, have a beer and then they're okay. But um, it takes a lot more, I think, emotionally for, for a woman to move countries. Mm. Mm. And kids enjoying it? Oh, um, yeah, honestly, our eldest, Sarah, um, she had a tough time when she first moved here. I think that the change really affected her. Yeah. Um, uh, she was at... Um, you know, she was kind of five, six years old when she moved and uh, it was a big, big move for her and that affected her and we think that played a part in, you know, some issues and problems that we had with her. Um, you know, she's cool now, but um, that definitely contributed, I think, that big yank of a move from family, you know, grandparents, um, support, that village that we had in the UK. Mm. Um, Flynn was only six months old, so he didn't really, you know, he didn't notice. really notice uh, and Daisy was kind of in the middle, so she was cool. But um, yeah, that's one thing that that we've missed the most is um, definitely not having um, grandparents mm. and family around us. Um, yeah. You know, especially when you've got three kids. Um, when you're at home, you can just say, hey, will you take the kids for the weekend? You know, we're yeah. going to go away to Europe for the weekend or whatever. But you can't do that when you move to a new country and you don't know anyone. Mm. And what have been some of the surprising things about moving to Western Australia that you appreciate? Wow. Okay. Moving to Western Australia. Um, a lot of people probably say this. Um, I really enjoy the slow pace of life here. Uh, for me personally, um, my life in business and work was um, very, very busy. So I constantly, my mind would constantly be ticking over. You know that feeling that you get? It's like tick, 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 tick at the mind. There's always something to think of, something to do. So for me, it was really beautiful to be able to come here and um, not have that and just allow my body and my brain just to slow down go for a surf enjoy the conversation that's one of the things i think that's so different for me is um i noticed a marked difference in the culture and the people here so in the uk you can walk your dog and you can walk past 20 people whilst walking your dog and someone might say hi one out of 20 might say hi and the rest of them won't look at you yeah um but here if you look at them and, and and look like you want to entertain a conversation every single one of them will stop and have, so, a com- yeah, yeah. and have a conversation with you about life and what they did today and what they're up to and, and it'll go on for as long as the conversation goes on for. Um, so that's what I enjoy. That's been, I think, not necessarily a shocking, a pleasant shock and surprise yeah. is the difference in culture. Just how open people are here to uh, connect and have a, have a chat, you know? Awesome. So as I said in the introduction, um, sold a company, made enough to retire at the age of 38. Um so that drive towards money, success, must have been quite prevalent for you up until that point. Where did that drive come from in the Carl story? And we'll get into the how in a minute. Yeah, sure. I know where the drive comes from. I've, I've gone back through this and found the points right. in life which, which were good for me in one way, but bad for me in, in others. Um, so honestly, um, I... Do you remember a movie with Michael J. Fox called The Secret to My Success? Um, yes. A lot of people don't, right? But um, basically, Michael J. Fox starts off in the post room of this company and he ends up, you know, in this big high executive position almost running the company. Um, it's a comedy, right? It's fun. Yeah. 
But I remember watching that movie, I must have been 12 years old or something at the time, and just thinking, wow, so you can really do that? You can really start at the bottom of a company. It was like a typical fairy tale type story, and you can end up almost running the company. That, that, that can happen. And that just stuck with me, you mm. know? Um, and really at school, um, I went to a boys, all boys grammar school. You know, you had to wear your blazers every day and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And um, they just, I literally just got spat out of school like a corporate robot. You know, I didn't know that anything, anything other than putting a suit on and going and work in an office existed. Yeah. You know, so it was just an expectation that I was going to go and be a business person. Yeah. Um, Did you go to uni? No, I didn't go to uni. I didn't want to go to uni, actually. Um, right. I, got the, I got the grades to go, but I chose not to. Um, not one bit of me at that time was at all interested in being a student. Like I just wanted to go and work and earn money and be that guy that starts at the bottom and works his way right. to the top. And then I was, I think I remember being 15. Um, my dad had left when I was 11 anyway. So I'd kind of made the decision at 11, you know, um, to be strong from a mum and kind of independent and stuff, which caused me emotional issues later on in life, you know, which I'll tell you about later. Um, but um, I, I remember one phone call with my dad. Um, I was 15, he was living in, um, either Saudi, I think at the time, and I needed 200 pounds for something. And didn't have it because we didn't have much money. And I phoned my dad in Australia, no, sorry, in Saudi. And I said, hey dad, this is me. I really need, you know, 200 pounds for this thing. And he said, no. Uh, and that was one of the, the most pivotal moments of my life. I remember saying, okay, put the phone down. Um, and in that moment, I actually said out loud, I remember sitting on the steps in my, in my little small house, you know, two up, two down house. And I actually said out loud, I think I was on my own, I'm never going to ask anyone for anything, any help ever again. Right. Um, which I know sounds very sad. Yeah. And in one way it is very sad because it's, because uh, I haven't, you know, but I just decided at 15 years old that, you know, my mum couldn't help me financially. I had no family that were going to help me do anything, uh, be who I wanted to be or have what I wanted to have. So I just made a decision that on that day at that moment that it was all down to me and I was going to go and do it, you know, and I'm never going to ask anyone for help on the way. I was going to do it all myself. So that's the earliest point when I made that decision that, uh, right. you know, um, that I was going to go and, and get what I wanted on my own. Right. Yeah. And that kind of stuck with me, I guess, um, See how all the way through. Big propelling force forwards. Yeah. Oh, huge. Yeah. And that just, that just stuck with me my whole working life. You know, I just, I just accepted at a very early age that, um, you know, if I wanted all of this stuff, no one was going to give it to me. I had to, I had to make it happen myself. Right. So tell me how you got to 38. Um, well, I'll give you the abridged version because the long yeah. version is really boring for a podcast. So, <laughs> uh, so I'll skip through the boring bits, hey? So um, basically I went to live in Northern Ireland. I met a girl, fell in love, went to live in Northern Ireland to be with her, ended up working for an insurance company, um, studied a load of insurance qualifications. Um, so I became the most boring you know, conversationalist in the world. <laughs> I was embarrassed telling people what I did for a job, you know. Uh, I work Why in was that? Oh, look, you don't want to say you work in insurance. It's the most boring conversation starter anyone. No one, no one's interested in talking about insurance. You say it's boring. Did you find it boring or did you find it interesting? Oh, look, I, th I found it interesting because it was what I was doing, you know, and I was studying at the time. So yeah. you know, I enjoyed the technical aspects of it all because I was learning about it and I was passing exams in it. Yeah. But I, I never wanted to open my mouth and actually talk about it to other people. I remember in a bar once on holiday, I met a guy, um, he said, what do you do? And I said, oh, I work in insurance. And I said, what do you do? And he said he was a treasure hunter. And it was like the, the biggest <laughs> smack in the face ever. I just thought, wow. <laughs> yeah. And he was a good looking guy as well. And I said, 
I thought, wow, you're a treasure hunter and I work in insurance. Something needs to change here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, worked in insurance for a bit, qualified, and then left as soon as I could. Went to work for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, big American vehicle rental company, as their kind of insurance and risk guy in the northwest of England and ended up being the insurance and risk guy in London, in the, in the southeast. Um, did that for a few years and then my wife came down to London and she was involved in the London bombing incident. Um, Yeah, she moved down. Yeah, so we were living in Chiswick at the time on the Chiswick High Road in London and she had to get the tube every day to work. She used to work in TV Hmm. and she was uh, underground on the train when the train stopped, blacked out and no one knew what was going on. Everyone started to panic. Um, So the train eventually snailed its way to the station and she just saw you know, everyone panicking and running off the station, um, which she, she joined those people and ran out of the tube station and phoned me straight away. And my job was risking insurance. So I had people, it was the most stressful day of my life. I had people calling me talking about bombs going off, you know, near to our rental branches and buses being blown up and people being killed. Um, so I just said to my wife, listen, just walk home. Don't get on public transport. You know, we didn't know if people were going to mm. blow up a car or a taxi or whatever, you know, no one knew. Mm. So, um, so she walked home for six hours back to Chiswick and then the next day woke up and said, Carl, I can't do that tomorrow. I'm not going to go and get on a tube and go to work. I'm going to move back to the Northwest and to Liverpool. I'm going to get myself a job there and we're just going to have to work it out because that's just messed me up yeah. yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as it would, you know, and she actually mm. suffered PTSD from it, you know, yeah, yeah. No. which came on later in life, uh, she found out. So that was a big pivotal moment for me. I realized that if I wanted to be with my beautiful fiance, um, you know, I'm going to have to change my life. And I'd had, yep. I had an idea for a business for a few years. You know, the way that you, you'd sit there. We used to have a little Jim Beam and Coke. And I'd tell, I'd tell them my ideas for businesses. And she'd say, you should do this. You should do that. Yeah. But it takes often a couple of years to get up the courage or the, the right life moments have to happen. The universe has to push you enough yep. until you make that jump. And um, that was the push. That was the push for me. That's when I started to think about business in black and white terms. If I don't do this, I'm going to mm. be in this job in London forever. I'm not going to be with the woman that I love. But if I do leave my job and resign and start this business, then, you know, the chance that I'm going to have what I want and the life that I want is there, you know, and and that's a lot less scary than the fear of staying in this job and knowing that I'm never going to have that life, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I left my job, started a business in the car accident. What sort of time was this? Oh, this is the 1st of January, 2006. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I moved back to the Northwest, just resigned, cried when I resigned because I loved the company that I worked for, <laughs> cried as I was resigning. Yeah. But uh, he said, why are you leaving? You've got a great job, the best job in the country for what you do. And I said, mate, I'm going to go and start my own business. You know, and I've got no idea exactly what I'm going to do yet, but I just know I'm going to do something and it's going to be better than this. You know? right. uh, so I moved back to the Northwest. Um, I had £10,000 saved um, and we literally lived on a credit card. We moved into a small flat, bought the tiniest car we could buy. And we lived on a credit card. I'm talking lived on a credit card, paid mortgages, um, bills, <laughs> went out, et, everything on a credit card for an entire year um, whilst we were trying to, whilst I was trying to start the business. Mm. Um, and did you know what it was going to be at that point? Yes. I, I, initially, I started selling, a, I didn't want to do it, but I had no money. So my father-in-law sold life insurance. So he said, hey, why don't you, you're an insurance guy. I never sold before. So why don't you come and sell some life insurance? So I said, okay, cool. You know, I know a bit about insurance. 
but I, I quickly learned that I actually knew nothing well, about so. sales. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny, you know, I'd just walk in and, and it was like, I felt like a second-hand watch salesman. I would literally just walk in and say, hey, so nice to meet you in people's houses. You can have this policy, that policy, or this policy. And they'd say, okay, leave us the perspective and we'll phone you back. And they never did. Right. You know, and I made no money until my father-in-law gave me, Jeff gave me a tape because I was complaining, I'm not making any money, you know, I'm... Nothing's happening here. Um, you know, I'm going to have to go and get another job. He said, look, just listen to this tape. And it was a cassette, you know, from yeah. 1974, I think, the year I was born. And it was from two guys that both sold a million dollars worth of life insurance uh, in 1974. Right. right. So that's wow. a huge amount of money, right? On their own, they made a million dollars worth of commission. Yeah. And the tape was just these guys just talking about... Uh, how they sold. And they, they actually just gave the words. They said, this is how I sell. Here's the words that I use to sell. Yeah. I didn't really resonate with the first guy, but the second guy, I thought, I could do that. Like, I could say those words. I could say them and make, and make, them, make them my own. Yeah. And the next day, I sat in a customer's house and I just followed exactly what this guy said to say. I couldn't believe. I thought they'd see through me. And they just bought lots of life insurance from me. <laughs> wow. It was amazing. <laughs> and I thought, wow. And then later on in life, I combined that sales technique with another one that I picked up somewhere else and kind of made my own. And that's the one that, you know, eventually was closing deals worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. Yeah. The same technique. Wow. So pivotal point then that. Oh, massively, hugely. Um, you know, it's a skill. So mm. like, like a lot of things in business and life, they're skills, right? You can learn. Yeah. It's like spinning a basketball on your finger. You know, one day you can't do it, someone teaches you, and then you can spin a basketball. You better practice, same thing. Um, you know, these so when did you get to the point of actually coming up with the idea that was going to become the business that you were going to sell? Yeah, okay, sure. So um, basically the business was around the car accident industry. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it revolved around non-fault road traffic accidents. So if you're driving your nice car and I bump into the back of your car, um, you're entitled to, you know, claim off my insurance company for, so you can get your car fixed yeah. and, um, you know, have a replacement car because you need one to get around and perhaps you've been injured, perhaps you've hurt yourself in the accident yeah. and you might need a lawyer to help make that claim against the at-fault insurance company. Hmm. So um, I think they call it ambulance chasing <laughs> yeah. in England and around the, uh, around, uh, around the world, especially America, big compensation culture there. So I built this business, which is like an intermediary. It wasn't a new thing. Um, yeah. where instead of you going to your insurance company, if the accident wasn't your fault, you would come to me and I'd give you a free car, I'd fix your car for free and a lawyer would call you within an hour and take care of everything and you wouldn't, there would be no cost, no excess to pay and you'd have this pleasant experience following a, a road traffic accident. Um, and we did more and more of that and then we started taking so customers. And then, and then you do the chasing up and everything. Correct. Yeah. yeah, we'd do the chasing or the lawyer that we passed the case to would do, do all of that. So we were like a middleman that um, helped the customer have a better experience following the accident, yeah. um, but also um, effectively made money for those businesses that we sent that work to, the lawyers, the car rental companies, and the accident yeah. repair companies. Um, and uh, over time, we started to get work from other companies like us because I said, well, we'll do your work for you and we'll give you a little bit more money for your, for your work. And so there's less work, more money. So people yeah. said, yeah, why wouldn't we do that? So we yeah. became this kind of agent doing other people's work for them or the right. businesses work for them too. And then I had an idea that I needed a software 
product because we were getting too busy. There was only two of us in the office at the time. All right, so it's a manual handling. Yeah, this is emails, this is faxes back then, this is yeah. spreadsheets, this is duplication of data three or four or five times throughout right, one particular wow. case. So I thought, right, I need a software system. I know what I want. So I went to try and buy one. And guess what? There wasn't a software system yeah. out there that connected all these different businesses in the one place and made everything easier, right? Which is all mm. I wanted. I just wanted to do it for myself and save a bit of time so we could do more work. So I went to a, went to a website company and they said it was going to cost um, you know, $100,000 to build. They didn't have $100,000. So I managed to find $100,000 from European funding. There was a European capital culture, Liverpool capital culture, Merseyside right. funding at the time. And I played two funding providers off against each other and managed to get $100,000 for nothing, pretty much. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, and retain the IP. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> they just gave me the money. I didn't have to... Oh, right. Yeah, that was part of the fund f- <laughs> wow. to support IT growth in Europe. So nice. I just hit it at the right time, you know. Timing is of the essence sometimes, I think, in, in business and life. Yeah. And, um, that was just the right time. I took advantage of it. And it took six months to get this software company out of my head. Uh, sorry, sorry. Six months to get this software product out of my head because I'm not an IT guy, but I knew that I, that I wanted, when you click the button, it would send an email here and then it would do something else yeah. to someone else. Six months to get it out of my head and then it took a year and a half to build it. Yeah. And it launched on the 10th of September, 2009, and it was called Intelligent Claims Management. And what it did, it was the first software product of its type in that, in that industry, which connected all of the businesses involved in that industry together in one online space right. and just removed duplication of data across all of the different businesses and platforms. Wow. And it also managed money as well yeah. and the customer. So it did everything, right? Um, it was my dream product that came out of my head. And then as I was making it, people said, oh, I was talking to my, my businesses that we were working to and saying, we've got this really cool product coming. And they said, well, that sounds really great. We'd like a product like that too for our business. So I thought, right. And at the time, the timing again, I was listening to a podcast mm. called The Bottom Line with Evan Davis. Remember the yeah. guy yeah. that does the, the Radio 1 podcast that used to do Dragon's Den? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was this multimillionaire guy on there talking and I was listening because I was listening to it. I would listen to it as I was walking the, walking the dog every day and this guy said this something was stuck with me forever and he said um, who made all the money in the gold rush of the 1800s I said the typical answer would be most people would say oh it's the guy that dug the most gold right that struck gold no it wasn't he said it's the guy that made the spades yeah I was going to say (laughs) the guy that made the spades I never heard that before and that just something just clicked in my mind I thought hang on a minute I've got this product here which I'm going to use for myself, but there's two and a half other thousand, two and a half thousand other companies like me in this industry that could use this too. So what I did was I gave away the product for free, so they couldn't have bought it off the shelf for less than ten thousand pounds, anything yeah. like it. And I gave it them for free, but the only condition was that when I gave it to them, um, they would have to send their work through it um, using yeah. my software to my panel of service providers, lawyers, yeah. vehicle rental companies, and the other businesses that we work with, my suppliers. So what I created is this closed network mm. where people... And were you sort of clipping the ticket on? We were clipping through. the ticket on in every single case. So I would yeah. go to these customers, these businesses and say, hey, I'm going to give you the software system. It's free. And the second you turn it on, you're going to make more money in less time than you've ever made before. Yeah. Do you want it? You know, and the answer was... <laughs> Mental. Yeah. And yeah. everyone said yes, you know. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So then from the, the 10th of September, 2009 to um, the end of 2012... Um, it became the largest legal network the UK had ever seen. Um, and uh, by 2014, it, it was generating over $200 million a year in revenue. Mm. 
Um, and we got approached by the largest law firm in the UK at that time, a PLC, who um, acquired my business. Um, funny story, um, we were sitting in Cottesloe Beach. Um, that Sawyer mentioned earlier. Yeah. We were in Cottesloe Beach and my wife said, wouldn't it be great if we could come and live in Australia? Yeah. And I said, geez, I'll have to go home and turn things around and somehow you know, find someone to buy my business, but I'll try. Yeah. And then the next day we flew home and when we landed and I walked through the front door of my house, there was the envelope on the floor that said, you may have, from the law firm that bought me, that, or our business, that said, you may have noticed in the recent press that we've been acquired by this PLC. We'd like to talk to you about acquiring your business. Like it literally happened the next day. Wow. After I said, let's see what let's we can do. do that. Yeah. And that took um, about a year and a half of targets and everything to, you know, lots of hoops to jump through. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I eventually resigned as the CEO of that business in January 2014 and, and moved to Australia. Right. Can I ask you how much you sold it for? Oh, it was a number in the millions. You're right. Okay. Fair enough. So, yeah. Um, so what was Carl like during those times? During the business times? Yeah. Um, I was a uh, robot. If I'm honest, I was a corporate robot. Mm. Um, and uh, from the earliest age of 18, um, I, I had, uh, and I, I'm looking back now, six months ago, I, I, couldn't, I wouldn't have said this, right? But I've yeah. been on a bit of a journey since then, which I'll tell you about. But, but yeah, looking back, I was a corporate robot. And what mm. I did is I, I decided, I looked up, someone told me once, you know, someone said, if you want to be the CEO of a business, you know, even if you're working in the post room, you need to act and think like a CEO now. Yeah. And let that guide how you make all of your decisions throughout your day, right? Mm. So I'm 18 and someone tells me this. So I thought, okay, that's what I'll do, you know? Um, and I made a decision, rightly or wrongly, that, you know, a CEO or someone in that position in life, you know, wouldn't ever get angry. They wouldn't ever show extreme emotion. They probably wouldn't ever really cry in front of people, you know? Yeah. Um, and they'd always be okay. They'd always be okay. And I just made this persona for myself up, you know, yeah. at a very early age. This is Carl the CEO. This is Carl the CEO, you know, and so yeah. therefore I put, I just put my emotions in this very small space of, I'm always great. Yeah. And a funny moment that then reinforced that for the next 10 years was, um, I met, a, I met um, an enterprise rental car, there's lots of Americans around because it's an American company, mm. and this amazing guy called Pete DeFrank. Uh, he looked like Jim Carrey, right? He might, might not thank me for saying that, but he did. Yeah. And he, I met him for the first time and he came into the office and I was uh, 24 at the time. And he, he came in and I heard him before I saw him. It's like, man, how are you? Walking around the office saying this to everyone. And he came into my, my, where I was sitting in the office and I was like everyone else. Someone would say, hey, how are you, Carl? I'd say, yeah, I'm okay. You know, I'm all right. And he came in and he said, hey, Carl, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm okay, Pete. I'm all right. How are you? And he stood up, he put his chest out, and he opened his arms wide, and he grinned from ear to ear, and he went, man, I'm fantastic. And it was so powerful. And in that moment, at 24 years old, I just looked at him like a god. And he had this sharp suit on, a big smile. Yeah. And I said, I said to myself, another moment when I said to myself, when anyone else asks me ever for the rest of my life how I am, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna say it in that way, because yeah. that's how I wanna be. And from that day onwards, until now, yeah. someone will say, how are you, Carl? I'll say, I'm fantastic. Yeah. I'm fantastic, right? Yeah. Uh, and I thought, I would tell people up until six months ago, that that was one of the best things that ever happened to me, mm. right? But now, I've been on a bit of a spiritual learning journey over mm. the last six months. Actually, that did me more damage 
Yes. Um, more damage emotionally mm. to me and to my relationships and to my relationship with my children and my wife and family and everything did me more damage than it did good mm. because I effectively stopped myself from allowing real emotion uh, to come out, um, mm. you know, for years, yeah. for so long in, in this to, to maintain this, this, um, this way of being, this persona that I mm. had to be, that I believe I had to be to achieve that, that ultimate you know, goal. Yeah, and what was the ultimate goal? For me, and this is, this is funny as well, for me it was, um, people would say, why are you doing this? Why are you working so hard, knocking yourself out, this mm. dream, this belief, where's that come from? I said, honestly, I'm only doing this so I can stop doing it. Right. Full stop, that was my goal. My goal was to, very clear, I got a business coach um, when I started the software business because I knew I needed help to achieve it, and he helped me understand um, how to take my self-belief from believing, from only dreaming of making 100,000 a year to making a million a year or a million a month, right? And, yeah. and so that's a big thing for a human being to take themselves out of their current social understanding of themselves and then actually know and believe that they can be someone that can make that kind of money. Yes. That was huge for me anyway, from the social environment that I came from. Um, I've lost where I was up to. What was I up to? You were telling me about the guy telling me up saying, I'm fantastic. Oh, and he says this. Yeah, um, and um, so yeah, and your question was, I'm sorry, bro. Who was, who, what was Carl like at, during this time as the business? Oh, yeah. Look, and, that, and like I said, it, I built your, that. What was your relationship to yourself, to your wife, to those around yeah, you? Yeah, look, I was always, um, I was always, because I built this persona, like, the interesting thing is, when you tell yourself every day, 10 times a day when you meet people that you're fantastic, um, you actually physically, I believe, change the chemistry of your brain mm. to genuinely feel, trick yourself into, yeah. and, you, and as a result, you do genuinely feel fantastic most of the time. Mm. So I literally was, I felt great all the time. And mm. it'd be a running joke, Carl never gets upset. You never see Carl angry. Carl mm. never gets in a mood. People used to call me Constant Carl. Constant Carl. I was just <laughs> constantly great, right? Yeah. Um, and. That, that shaped my relationships with everyone, you yeah. know? So they would just see that guy. And at home, I would be that guy. But honestly, I think at home, I'm a lot quieter than people perceive me outside of home. You know, yeah. my wife would say, God, you know, when you're out, you're this effervescent kind of guy. Mm. Um, and when you're at home, you're actually quite a boring, <laughs> you know, a boring, quiet guy, you know? Yeah. Um, so maybe that enforces the whole thing that I was just putting on a, a yeah. persona. But um, yeah, the whole thing about just just tricking myself into being fantastic um, and not expressing emotions, I then put that onto my relationships. So if my wife got particularly emotional or was screaming or shouting or even really upset, I'd, I would, I'd say, why do you want to be like that? Why do you want to be angry? I don't understand, you know? Yeah. Why are you screaming like that? I, I don't understand. My kids, you know, my eldest daughter probably took it most because, you know, she, she had some, some issues and some problems that she was going through and, and I just looked at her, I was like, I don't understand, why would you, why were you acting like this? I don't get it, you know, because mm. I've always just been constant. I don't understand. Yeah. Like I've never really felt depression. I've never felt anxiety. I'm learning a lot about it now through through circles that I'm, you know, um, moving in and I'm respecting it a lot more. But yeah, I think I, I probably came across as being quite cold emotionally mm. or, or you know, less warm than I could have been um, with family members. What was it people. like when you were in the more quieter moments, like when you'd go on holiday or something, when you were out of the business. So I'm always curious when, when, when all of that, all of that that you've created 
it's, it's, in those moments it's not it's not there and it's not present and the best example I can come up with is like yeah, Christmas time or holiday or something like that what what were you like then? Was there a small voice that was starting to talk to you or something? Or? The best way I can describe, rather than going on holiday, because normally when I was working, when I'd go yeah. on holiday, I'd have time to think. And, I, and it's a running joke. I'd normally come back and sack someone. Because, right. yeah, because I'd sit on a beach and I'd, I'd think, I'd had time to think about, actually, that sales guy's done absolutely nothing, really. And he's been having me over for the last six months. Yeah. Where when you're in it, you don't see it. Yes. That's why having a holiday when you run a business is so important. Because you have mm. time to slow down and actually think. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't think about work. And now I tell people, don't think about don't work when work. you go away. Yeah. But at the time when you're in it, you do. And you, yeah, I, I was always able to make useful decisions whilst having that time to relax. The, 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 the more interesting conversation is when I'd sold the business and I literally was on holiday for life. Yeah, and I'm coming to that in just a sec. Yeah. So you get the letter of offer, or basically, you know, we're interested in buying the company. Um, and obviously that came about. What did it feel like when it happened? Uh, look, obviously getting the letter was great, um, but honestly, when I got the letter, I didn't feel like my company was in the position that they thought it was in. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a bit scared that um, these guys think I'm something that I'm not, you know? Mm. Um, but it felt amazing that someone was interested in buying my business. Um, then I had to jump through a lot of hoops, had to go through kind of a Dragon's Den type interview with, um, with this guy that they'd employed that does that, you know, assesses businesses, whether they're um, viable for acquisition. So um, funny story, I, I had to go and have a meeting with this guy. Never had a meeting like that before. And, he, you know, and I knew I had to do some financial forecasting and I was rubbish at that kind of stuff, you know. So I employed a temporary uh, CFO, chief financial officer, right. found him on the internet somewhere, yeah. paid him a couple of grand, and he did all this amazing financial forecasting, you know, into the five years ahead and made my company look like it was gonna be the most amazing thing ever. Um, and we went, and I took him into that meeting with me and he just acted like he was my CFO for that mm. one hour of the meeting and then literally never saw him again. <laughs> but it, yeah. it, he, he played his part in the, the role, did the job and it put together the forecast. And what I realized during that meeting, that first meeting, was that actually this company wasn't interested in the in in the business in the profit that my business was making this company was interested in the money it was going to make them because let's say i sent for every case that i sent to them for mm. every bit of business that my software sent to them on average they would make about six thousand dollars right um i wouldn't make that i would make maybe a hundred pounds or two hundred pounds yes. right so when i figured that out what I did is I changed the forecast for my business and I projected what they would make. Yes. Which was in the, you know, in the um, 50 million plus mark each yeah, year, yeah. you know. And I, I wrote that in big writing at the end of the proposal, you know, as if mm. I know that you know that I'm worth I've this to you. Yeah. Um, so we got through that meeting and then I got invited to go and meet um, this gentleman, this guy called, his name's Rob Terry. And at the time he was worth 396 million pounds. Yeah. And I met him on his own golf course, um, private golf course. And there was another Dragon's Den meeting with him, his accountant, his head lawyer, and a couple of other guys there. And they just, they went at me, you know, they went at me hard um, yeah. in this meeting. And apparently that's a tactic. Apparently it's a thing that happens in yeah. mergers and acquisitions. You know, they, they go at you to see if you can take it and to try and um, you know, bully you into 
submission and taking less money th- than maybe what you hope f- for your business. You know, it's a mm. thing, uh, yeah. which was shocking to me because I always tried to be respectful and nice and kind <laughs> to people in business. And that was a big wake-up call for me that actually yeah. that's real business. That's what life is about. That, that, yeah. That's how it happens. And uh, we had this meeting and at the end of it, um, you know, they asked me what am I going to do and all these targets that I can set. And the deal was a share-only deal. Um, as is quite normal with with companies that are um, acquiring different businesses. So um, they said, how much profit are you going to generate in the next 12 months? Um, And we will give you shares in proportion to that. So I said, okay, just just, just to be clear. So if I give you a number that's, you know, five times the number that I did last year, you're going to give me five times the number of shares in this bigger business. And I'm going to make five times more money for the business. And they said, yeah but you need to hit the target. If you don't hit the target, we take the shares back off you. I said, okay, just to understand, just to double check guys, I give you a number and if I hit that number, you give me all this money. But if I come short, you still give me money, but it's just proportionately less by the amount that I didn't hit the target. Yeah, that's the way it works. Okay, cool. So I then, I projected a profit number, which was 10 times higher than my business had ever done, ever in the history of trading. Um, and I had no idea, I had a clue in my, in my mind how I was gonna do it, but I thought this is my only chance in life. No one's knocked on my door before this. No one, I, don't, I didn't imagine it's gonna happen after. This mm. is my time in life. So in that meeting, I committed to my business hitting 10 times more profit after tax cash in the bank than I'd ever been able to do before. Um, and we shook hands on it. And um, after the meeting, um, about a year later, I was sitting at a black tie dinner with all the guys that were in the room. We were all shaking hands and drinking whiskey and all this kind of stuff because it had all worked out. And one of the guys said, you know what, Carl, let me tell you about that meeting. He said, you were the smallest acquisition that we ever made. He said, you know, there was acquisitions that the day before we bought someone out for 50 million, right? He said, you're the smallest one that we ever made. And I actually said to Rob, when you walked out the, the room, why are you buying this guy's business? Why? Why are you interested in this guy's business? Because it's tiny compared to mm. our normal acquisition. I said, I said, and Rob Terry said to me, you watch that guy. He said, you watch what he's going to do. He said, I mm. just saw it in his eyes. Yeah. You watch. He needs it, right? Yeah. You watch him go. Um, and I did. And I went and smashed it. And we actually did more mm. than that. We actually did about one and a half times that right. um, in the 12 months um, following that meeting. And I got to keep all the shares and I resigned as soon as I could. Yeah. And then came to Australia. And came to Australia. Yeah, I got out. I, did it I, feel good when you did it? Yeah, for 20 years, I'd been working to the point where I was going to stop working. So that's, you know, I had to so do that. It. I had no other no other plan. This was a big problem for me, I found later. Yeah. I had no other plan other than being 38 and not working. But uh, for what it's worth, the feeling, you asked me what, what it felt like. Yeah. So I obviously am sitting in my suit and tie with my with my you know, nice cufflinks and I've just finished this meeting being really calm, obviously, because this is a big moment in life and you have to project yeah. yourself as a confident business individual. And in this meeting, I've just negotiated the sale of my business for millions of, of pounds. And, um, you know, which is my life's dream. It's just happened right in front of my eyes. And I shook the guy's hand, walked out of the room, got into my car, Remain calm as I drove down the long path of the golf club to the electric <laughs> gates that opened. Remain calm just in case there was cameras watching yeah. from the golf club somewhere, I don't know. And I got out of the gates and I let out a scream and a cry that lasted minutes. I'm talking screaming and crying at the top of your voice for minutes. And I just was uncontrollably um, emotional. I'm talking, I've never screamed like that. Yeah. Ever. And that was 20 years. That was 20 years of belief. 
20 years of belief that came out in, in a scream and a cry and it just poured out of me yeah. and I, I just, um, I didn't stop crying for miles in my car. Uh, it wasn't about the money, it was about the fact that, um, that you know, my belief that I knew from 18 it was going to happen and to actually have it happen and I get that, that, that you know, um, that moment um, yeah. of that, that, it was, that all that belief was worth it, you know, on my, on my life, that was, um, that was the moment for me. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So then you come to Australia. Yes. And so you sold the business, you have the money, you leave the home, you come on this like big extended life holiday now. Oh. What was life like then? Initially, obviously it was fantastic. Yeah. So, it's all you know, new, 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 yeah, new, new. Like, you know, we went from being a hundred thousand pounds in debt, you know, cause I'd banked my entire life on, on, my business you know and, and this goal so we went from being massively in debt and nice life you know but we were massively in debt we went from being in debt to literally never having to work again you know mm. and being able to go to the cash machine take money out and not worry about it you know or buy anything pretty much within reason mm. and not worry about it so you know we we flew, we flew the family out business class and we went to Mauritius for like three weeks and had our own kind of emperor villa in Mauritius with a butler and all that kind of stuff you know <laughs> that you, you probably do when that happens to you yeah and then we came to Perth and funny, you know, we, 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 um, we found a house pretty soon and, you know, we bought the house and, and um, cars and all the stuff that you, that you, you're supposed to do, right? But, but yeah, yeah. And, but one of the, and that was all amazing, right? So I, I bought my house cash, right? And, and which was an unbelievable feeling to be able to just say, yeah, there you go. There I'm you just going to do that. And awesome. um, an amazing feeling, not, not from the showy off point of view. For me, it was a pride thing. It was, I've worked my whole life to get to a point where I'm able to do this, right? It's very emotional for me. And still, when I think about it, that's what comes up. It's not the money, it's the pride of me and the mm. team and what we did to enable me to get to a point where I was able to do that, right? For my mm. family. But one of the most amazing moments for me was we went to um, Maya's shopping center and I was with my wife. You know, we'd given the kids and mum was over at the time helping us out. We went to Maya's and Susie said, uh, it makes me emotional actually. Susie said, um, what, what can we buy? What can I buy? You know, and I just said, just buy whatever you want. Just mm. buy whatever you want. She said, what do you mean? I said, just, 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 just buy whatever you want. You know, and, um, and it makes me emotional now. 20 years of struggle to get to a point and it seems silly and I know it seems very materialistic and my life's changed since then. But in that one moment, yeah. um, just being able to say to my wife, you know, we, she supports me the whole way, just, just buy what you want, you know? And, and she didn't, you know, that's the thing. We didn't buy the whole store. We just bought what we needed. But what, one moment, one mad, crazy moment was that we spent a thousand dollars on towels like you know <laughs> we bought a thousand dollars on Ralph Lauren towels for the bathroom um and you know I just did the moments that you remember you just go wow I spent a thousand dollars on towels but it, <laughs> but it was it was just mainly just the, the, the ability just to look at my beautiful wife who supported me the whole way and just say yeah. just go and do what you want you know get what you want the freedom of it all yeah um and um so look that was great um but very quickly that just becomes normal Yes, I was going to say, because the new norm. Yeah, that just becomes okay, normal. So, yeah, it's emotional to jump from one place to another, but then the other becomes the norm. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, no matter how big your house is or whatever, you, you, you still have to clean it and, you know, <laughs> you know, and uh, pick things up and, you know, maintain it, whatever Repl like that. Replace so, the loo roll. All that stuff, yeah. <laughs> so it's just normal, right? It just becomes your normal. Yeah. Um, but my life changed dramatically. So I went from honestly feeling like, um, I, and I still do feel like this. I feel like not just me, but we, my whole team, 
um, and my wife, like we climbed Everest. You know, yeah. we, we in my my world, I climbed my Everest. Yes, yeah. it's important. You know, I, I talk to people about this now, and it's so important. I think to have that Everest, to have that thing, that mountain to climb. You know, we did that. I did that. And and I felt when I when I moved to Australia and all I was doing was I thought that I wasn't going to work I didn't want to work and I just went surfing on my own and then I just find myself sitting in coffee shops on my own talking to old age pensioners about the news because I didn't really know that many people you know my brother was working my wife was doing Most something other else were. everyone else was. So I actually spent a lot of time on my own, like just, just doing nothing. It got a little mm. bit lonely, if I'm honest, you know, and, and um, this is a bit where I'm going to swear. It just got a bit shit. Yeah. It was really, really um, not the thing I, I thought it was going to be, you know. Um, but I managed to eat that out for about a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I learned to surf, you know, um, yeah. and then um, and I felt like um, I felt like a fighter pilot that had been told he couldn't fly again. Right. That's the, that's, the, that's the feeling I used to describe to my wife. I feel like I was this guy that was operating mm. at this level and sitting in meetings talking about hundreds of millions of dollars with people, you know, and that was my normal. And I kind of buzzed off that. And suddenly I'm just sitting next to Bob, who's 80, talking about his wife's healthcare, you know, in, in a coffee yeah. shop looking at the ocean. I was thinking, what's wrong with this picture? This is what I worked so hard for, right? Yeah. Um, and then my mind started to get creative on its own, you know, and I started to have ideas about different businesses and this and that. And um, yeah. Um, went on a, another business journey. And, but actually this time around, I got to ask myself, you know, what were the things that really lit me up inside? Yeah. Like out of all the stuff that I did, what were the things that I really genuinely buzzed off when I did them? And one was creating stuff from nothing and making yeah. it real. So, you know, creating software systems and build, you know, creating things that aren't there now and then making them real, turning into a real thing that I, I really buzz off that. I've got a very vivid imagination, so you know I talk to someone about the business, and I can just see bang, 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 into the future and touch and feel and smell what it's going to be like. So I love I love that process from taking nothing and then making it something. Um, and I also spend a lot of time um, having coffees with people. People would hear about my story and business, and they'd say, "Hey, can I have a coffee with you? Because you know I, I want to start a business, or uh, I'm currently running a business, and I don't know how to do this, or I don't know how to do that." Yeah. And I'd sit and talk to them for like it always ended up being about four hours. Yeah, over a coffee. And they walk away going, wow, my God, that's amazing. You changed my life. Thank you so much. You know, I'm going to go yeah. off and do this now or change this now. And my wife would say, wow, what did you do today? Because you, you lit up, you know, I haven't mm. seen you like this for months, you know, but you lit up. And I said, oh, I was just. This is after like a year and a half. Yeah, it's after a year and a half. I've just bumming around. I was, just, I was just a surf bum. Yeah, I was just yeah. a surf bum, basically just doing nothing with no direction, which isn't good. You know, and I look back, I think I needed mm. that break to kind of break me away from the, the last life that I had and, and allow me to gently enter the new period of, um, of my life. Yes. When did things like properly start to go? Boom, yeah. So yeah, all that kind of stuff was normal to me. So I, I, was, I was, you know, I was building a new software business. So I was doing this stuff, I was really enjoying it. And then I was helping these people, um, you know, over the coffees and I was enjoying that stuff. But I was still sitting on, the best way to describe it, I was sitting on my couch at home in this lovely house that I bought, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm. And I'm sitting on my couch at home, looking out the window and Susie would, this happened a lot. Susie would come to me and my wife and she'd say, are you okay? Are you okay? You look kind of distant. And after a while, I-, I, I The 10 I, miles there. Yeah. Yeah, and after a while, I pinpointed what it was. And I said, do you know what it is? Said, what? I said, I'm asking myself the question, is this it? 
Mm. You say, what do you mean is this it? You've done this, you've done that, you've got us, you've got me, you've got the kids, you've gone on holidays, you've yeah. got surf, trying to snowboard on holidays, you've got your sports car in the garage, yeah. this is what you wanted. Um, what do you mean is this it? Aren't we enough? Oh. Susie, Susie would say, isn't that? And, I, and I'd say, no, I don't think it is. I don't think it is, if I'm honest. I don't think it is enough. I don't feel like it's enough. Wow, that's brave to share that. Yeah, I, I feel there's a hole there. And I, I was honest, and there was. Um, I'd say there's a hole. The, the, the hole that used to be filled for tr- my whole life with a fire, like a burning fire for success and achievement and in business and life, that had gone and it was empty. And I was thinking, hang on a minute. I played the game here. I've won the game. Why am I, why is there a hole there? And why mm. am I spending a lot of my time asking the question, is this it? Is yeah. this it? You work hard, you marry, you have kids, and then what, you just do it again? Is that it? Is that all there is to life, right? Yeah. Um, I wasn't depressed, I wasn't down, but I was just philosophically asking the question, surely there's more to this. Maybe I'm more than this. Yeah. There you go. So that's um, mm. that's what happened. That's what happened, and that happened. Uh, that had been happening for probably a couple of years, if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, about six months ago, in March, all that changed. How? <laughs> <laughs> um, so my wife bought me a, uh, a men's course. She bought me to right. go on a men's course. It was called Invictus by an amazing guy called Tim Morrison in Perth like a cool looking Viking dude. Um, and uh, he runs this course for men. Mm. And it's called Invictus, Bring Out the Warrior Within. And um, I said, and she gave me it, she gave me it in, in March. She said, I bought this for you for Christmas, you know? And I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna go on a men's course. No way. Why? I said, ah, you're joking. I'm not gonna go and sit there with a load of drongos who've got problems. <laughs> you know, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. That's why I, th- I just thought, oh, I'm not going to go and sit there with a lot of weak men with problems crying about, you know, whatever. I'm great. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fantastic. Yeah. Right? Oh, it's, there it is, isn't it? There it is. There it is. There it is, right? So yeah. this is the persona that I built up my whole life. Why do I? I don't need anything like that. I'm great. There's nothing wrong with my life. I have no problems. Look around. Yeah. Right? And she said, no. You need to go, you need to go. Yeah. And she, and this is how, this is, um, again, it makes me emotional. This is, you know, I've been with Susie 20 years. This is when your, your life partner knows you better than you know yourself mm. sometimes. And she knew that I needed to, to get stuff out and I needed to deal with stuff, right? Yes. So she bought this course and I, I rock up and, you know, there's 18 other guys there who I don't know. And I'm standing there the first night thinking, I'm a, I, and then I became embarrassed because I thought, I've got nothing to talk about here. I've mm. got nothing to talk about. You know, I'm okay, right? I'm fantastic. These guys have all got the problems. And I was the guy sitting in the middle of a semicircle on the first night, and they all started. And each of them had really significant, you know, things that had happened in their life that had led to problems later on, or fears, or self-limiting beliefs, or whatever, you know, whatever it is that had happened to them. Some of them have had, you know, really serious, you know, issues and stuff that had happened to them as children or adults. And it got, and to the, I was like the 10th guy in the semicircle to talk. And I was panicking because I, di- I didn't know what to say. I, I, I could not compete with some of the problems that these guys had, yeah. right? <laughs> and all I said, the thing that just came up, Tim just said, just, just say what, 
you feel, you know? And I said, okay, if I'm honest, for the last couple of years since I sold my business, I've been feeling a bit lost. I've been asking myself the question, is this it? You know, so maybe something on this course is gonna help me find what it is that I'm missing, yeah. you know? And he said, okay, thanks very much, and we just carried on. Anyway, it was eight weeks um, of a course every Tuesday night, and there was, a, there was an anger night, a guilt and shame night, a masculine wounds of your father night. There was everything, relationships, sexual energy. It was, it was an amazing, amazing experience, and um, including deep breath work, and I had some profoundly spiritual, amazing experiences during that. And you're talking to a guy right now who'd never, never been spiritual, never mm. had any experiences. What do you mean by never been spiritual? Well, never. Like, I was brought up a Catholic till I was 12 or 13. I chose not to go back to church. I just thought, I just didn't agree with it all, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And then I just left left religion. I just never thought about it. And, you know, I wouldn't say there's no God, but I'd just say, you know, you can worship what you want. You yeah. know, as long as it's good in your life, that's great. That's how I felt, you know? But I don't mm. particularly follow one particular religion. I'm open to learning, you know? Um, but I'd never been spiritual, so I'd never really been bothered with any of that stuff, like... Any, anything that revolves in that world, you know, whether it's Reiki healing or, you know, even massage. I'd never even, never go for a massage, right? There's nothing, because I just always believed that I was just okay. I didn't need any of that stuff, fantastic. right? I was fantastic, right? <laughs> so, um, so I'll tell you. So um, basically this course, this, course, this course cracked me open and it was, the, it was the second week that I was there and it was guilt and shame week. And again, I, I just thought of something, um, something that happened with an ex-girlfriend from when I was 21, you know, and, and um, I, um, we did this breath work and basically it was like a um, half hour long, I think, of deep, you know, breath work. And um, I'd never done this before. So this is only the second time that I've done it in my life. Mm. And during the breath work, um, I had what um, others now, I've researched it, others would have described as what's called a Kundalini awakening. Right. Um, so... Um, Meaning. Apparently you have eight chakras in your body and apparently you have this, this energetic snake called the, 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 um, the Kundalini, the snake of Kundalini or whatever it is. And yeah. apparently it holds the power of the universe in it. And uh, when you have a Kundalini awakening, some people experience the feeling of this snake coiling up your spine and releasing that energy into your body and the universe. Yeah. So I didn't know any of this at the time, but I'm lying doing this breath work and suddenly I start to shake, uncontrollably shake. And it was like someone just plug me into, not even 240 volts, I'm talking plug me into the power of the universe. That's all I can yeah. say, right? And I was shaking and gritting my teeth. Like, if you tense every muscle in your body like yeah. you're being electrocuted, and it went on like that for five minutes straight. And Tim, the facilitator, came over and prized his hand inside my hand to hold my hand and kind of let me know that he was there and it was okay. Yeah. And I couldn't stop it. Shaking, shaking, shaking. Ah, I felt this energy and... Um, most intense energy I've ever felt in my whole life. I've never felt anything like it before. I have since. Um, and uh, then I felt it drain from the top of my head and the bottom of my toes up into the center of my body and then literally shoot out from some center in my body. Like I'm talking shoot like a laser beam. I felt it shoot out for 30 seconds until it was all gone. And then I was just limp sitting on the floor, lying on the floor. I couldn't even move my head. I couldn't sit up for minutes. Um, and when I did, uh, I said, what the hell was that? And what the F was that? What happened then? And I was telling people that, did that happen to you? No, that didn't happen to me. Did it happen to you? No, that's never happened. Right, okay, well, that happened to me. And I didn't understand what it was. Yeah. 
And, but it's happened since. It's happened since again. And I've been on, a, on a, an amazing um, journey of, of spiritual discovery since that moment. Yeah. And now, if you ask me what that was, yeah. um, uh, I believe that in that moment, um, I released or realized the, the true power that's inside every human being. And, um, right. and I, I felt a huge connection. I look back now, I felt some amazing connection to what do you want to call source or the universe or the power of everything. Yeah. Um, I felt it then inside me and uh, felt it, there you go, shoot up into the universe, there you go, I'll say it. Um, yeah. And it was, it was profoundly amazing. Um, and I had other experiences, another breathwork session, um, similar experience, not necessarily with the shaking and the energy, but I felt these amazing balls of energy in my hands, literally pulsating like plasma balls. And I've had amazing experiences since, uh, which kind of have taken me to a point where I now have an understanding that, you know, we are way more than what we think we are. So, to, so you've had your question answered. Is this it? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, no, I've had my, my question answered dramatically yeah so mm. yeah i've been on a journey since then so then i've been through from there it's amazing how it happens i was just introduced to other beautiful people you know men women a whole community of people some of whom have gone through similar experiences and were able to help and guide me you know and, and help me answer that question more and more and more and, mm. and as time goes on over the last you know six months if you ask me now what it all means um i would say that now I just have a, um, I've gone from wearing a corporate robot suit. I've yeah. now unzipped the suit. Yeah. Um, I'm now. Stepped out of it. Yep, stepped out, literally just step it. I actually went to a festival called um, Burning Swan recently and I wrote mm. on the on the burning, um, on the effigy before they burn, there's a big wooden structure and people write things that they want to let go of and it burns away. And I wrote, I was a corporate robot for 20 years. Now I've taken the suit off, you know, goodbye corporate robot. Yeah. Um, and um, watch it burn, you know. Mm. Um, so now I allow myself, I can't help it now, I haven't got a choice. I allow myself to feel um, freely. So, you know, now when I hug my kids, I cry, you know, which is, which is, I never used to do that. Now I have so much love for them. I, I've allowed that love to come out mm. that I cry when I hug my kids. You know, I never did. Um, you know, when I think about my wife, I have tr tr the kind of true love that you probably should have for your partner, which I realized that I wasn't allowing myself to feel, mm. um, you know, for years. And I understand now and truly believe that um, that power that I experienced is the power of everything and it's in mm. us and that the key to everything is to give that power and share that power with everyone as often as possible, um, you know, and as much as possible. Um, so love, human connection um, and giving, you know, mm. is, um, is uh, what I'm about now. There you go. Do you feel like you, because I listen to stories in the podcast and, you know, the details are different, but underneath there is a similar thing that happens at times. And this is one of my musings is that, <clears throat> do you think for some people it's, did you have to go that far down into the dark hole? In your cases, did you think that you had to drive and push yourself to such an extent to sell the company to achieve the thing to have the empty point afterwards to get to the place where you did six months ago 
Yeah, hundred percent. I I think I, I think that was meant to happen. Yeah, I think there's a plan. Um, I think I played a part in that plan, and that I at some point, uh, whether you say it's me or my higher self or whatever you want to say, it's different for everyone. Mm. But I believe that I was meant to go through that process. I was meant to learn those lessons, and I was meant to be me now. Um, you know, and doing the things that I'm doing now mm. um, as me. Yeah, I think that's all part of the plan and part of the process. And I don't think I could have been me now if I if my wife hadn't bought me that course. That was the trigger. Like it cracked me open. It cracked us all open. What do you mean by cracked open? What cracked open? Well, like it cracked my suit open. You know, it cracked my mm. corporate suit open. You know, I I felt emotions for the first time in in 20 years. Like I had realizations. I had I had amazing realization so two of the biggest ones was there was one which was um, the wounds of the, the masculine wound so apparently you you carry subconsciously genetically you carry wounds from your father and from his father mm. so my dad was orphaned when he was 13 14 years old lost mm. both his parents within a couple of years of each other yeah so but i never really considered that Right, so therefore my father, a great guy, he was a bit of a shit dad, and he left when I was 11, but he's a great guy, I still get on with him. Um, he, the way he was, and the wounds that he carried from not having a mum and a dad from the age of 13, 14, that went into me. Mm. And that contributed to me being able to switch my emotions off at the point where I did. Yeah. Um, and then, I, I, and I saw this, I saw myself as an 11 year old, this is during breath work again, I saw myself, I stood in the shoes of myself as an 11 year old boy, and I saw my dad walking out the door in the hall of our house and my mum crying, and I saw myself take the decision and felt it, that I'm gonna be strong for my mum at the age of 11 years old. Yes. And from that age, I saw it during this experience, during these, this eight week process, I realized that that's the point where I decided that I wasn't gonna show emotion, and then that yeah. just got built on my whole life. Yeah. So once I realized where that came from and and why I, why I did that to myself I was able to release it and yes and under, once I understood why I why being this person I let it go and then suddenly honestly all of this emotion you know just started to pour out of me just honestly yeah. and it just keeps pouring out it was just a, a, mm. a complete and I had the conversation with my dad the next day after the session I told him I said dad I never looked at it like this, but I understand why you did what you did. I understand. I never thought of about the pain that you suffered, about what you went through, and how that affected your decisions in life. Mm. But I'm going to let you know now, Dad, that it, I'm going to cut that cord now, and I'm going to be a better dad group. to my to my son. I'm going to be a better husband to my wife and a better son yeah. to my to my mum and you. You know, so I'm cutting that now. We're all good. I love you unconditionally, but I'm cutting that cord. It ends now with me. You know, yeah. I'm not going to pass it to my son. And when that phone call finished, he put the phone down because I think he was upset. I started crying. I opened my chest up because um, Tim on the course said, do that. You know, I opened yeah. my chest up and I cried like a man. And then during the tears, um, this, this thing in my stomach, this thing started to move. And I, I started choking on it. And it, and it came from my stomach as I was crying and moved up into my esophagus. Yeah. And like that movie, The Green Mile, yeah. it... I, I just coughed out this thing. Nothing yeah. came out. It was locked in your body. And it, it just left me. And I think that was that was all of that emotion that mm. I kept, you know, there for 20, 30 years or whatever. Yeah. So now I'll cry watching anything. You, you, yeah. you give me a sad story, I'll cry, you know, and I'll enjoy crying. Yes. Now if I'm angry, I'll say, I'm angry. And I'll enjoy it's being angry. It's anger, isn't it? Yeah. Motivating, fuel on the fire. Yeah, I'll own it now. I'll yeah. say, I am angry yeah. and here's why I'm angry I'm not going to go and bang anything or throw anything but I'll own it now whereas before yeah. I never used to 
right. So now, yeah. And, what was um, the second one you said? That- oh, so the, yeah, so the second one was to do with um, my soul's purpose. Here you go. So I'm getting spiritual again. So after selling the business, a funny thing you happened. You don't have to apologize. For getting okay, I know, I know, I know, okay. Um, yeah, I'd probably still do that, yeah, because you think maybe not, not everyone feels the same way. Own it, thank you. So after selling the business, um, well, when I was a child, um, as a kid growing up, as a boy, and especially in an all-boys grammar school, you literally were taught not to shout about your achievements. Yes. You know, if you shout about, hey, I came first, oh, shut up, you, you this or you yeah. that, you know, you just would not shout about your achievements. It's an English thing, right? It's an English mm. boy thing. You just don't because you just shut down instantly. Yes, it's not a done thing. No, and then as you grow up, that is amplified oh. by your mates who just jump all over you the second you, yeah. So I sold my business and became this multimillionaire guy, like almost overnight, and I didn't want to tell anyone, right? Yeah. Um, for fear of being judged as a big head or a show off. Mm. So what happened was I went the other way. I went so far um, to portray myself as not being that guy. So you'd have a conversation with me, I'd meet you and I'd talk to you for hours and you would have no idea about anything that I'd done. And I would go, I'd dance around, I'd ask you about your life forever, you know, because yeah. I, I would dance around not, that was easier. not having the conversation. Yeah. And then even when someone said, so what did you do, what do you do? Mm. I still would say, oh, I sold a business, you know, and then we moved to Australia. And only when someone said, no, tell me exactly what you did yeah. and how did it go? Because I'm interested, because I want to know, then I would tell them the whole story because yeah. I felt that it would benefit them in some way and, yes. and, and how help them if they were in a business or whatever. So anyway, I had this breathwork session and, um, and I, I saw, I saw in this deep breathwork, I went to a place and I saw myself, I saw this huge, bright, glowing white light and it was there right in front of me. Mm. And I saw myself, it makes me feel emotional, but I saw myself covering it with a big, dark, black cloak mm. and I'd been covering it for years Yes, and just not, like literally hiding it for mm. years and I came out of the breath work and we all talked about it and I said you know what boys I've just I've just I've seen what I need to do you know and what I realized in that moment was that this huge bright light that I have can shine on lots of people and help lots of people who will benefit from my experience and my knowledge and me and my power and what I've been through um uh and that I, and that there's there's so much more value mm. to those people in me telling them my my story in the right way, with a view to helping them on their journey. There's so much more value to that. That's so much more valuable than than the fear of me being judged for being a big head or a show off. Yeah, oh, 100%. along the way. Yeah. So that that was a big realization for me, which happened during that course as well. And from there, it took me another couple of months until I finally confidently came out and said, "This is me." Um, you know, let me help you. Let me shine my light and, and yeah. do what I'm good at. You know, which is which is what I'm doing now. Awesome, awesome. You know, it it would be easy for me to go. Oh, okay then, Carl. So, what were the things that you were missing during that life? And da 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 da. And and almost put a join your business um, building life and put a lens upon it, whereby oh, that's really bad because it was missing this. Whereas the, where I sort of have come to in my thinking and feeling around a lot of this, listening to a number of people who've been through similar sort of stuff, is that we, I think we purposely go on a game of hide and seek where we probably deny aspects of ourselves and we run, we, we take on stories, we take on patterns and then we drive them until their very end and then 
they have to crack. And when they crack, you almost default back to this full on loving human being. Does that make sense? Yeah, I actually think in my experience, I've needed people to help guide me on this journey because mm. this was happening to me. I was like, oh my God, this is happening. I'm feeling like I literally walk around. I'm feeling this power inside of me now. It's, I can't describe it, but it's, yeah. I, I, I'm walking around feeling like this massively energetic universal being that that is yeah. you know just just giving this energy to those around me you know and um but i needed people to help me bring that out um and you know so i've joined a community of beautiful people you know you, you've met them too yeah those guys over at the human excellence project and yes um and you don't realize how much you need a community of supportive people who are like you until you're part of it yeah and you look back and think wow i needed that i've needed that for so long but yeah. the people i'm mixing with now and there is a shift when you talk to other people who go through similar spiritual awakenings or life awakenings, whatever you want to call it. Yes. They, they, will, they will naturally move away, not in a negative way, in a bad way, vindictive way, but they'll move away from their existing circle of friends who don't understand them or don't support the journey, yes. the spiritual journey they're going on. And they'll naturally move um, to others that support yes. where you're going. We um, do. Yeah. So yeah. I, I feel like literally in the last six months, I feel like someone's, I was on a train going on one track and I feel like someone just lifted the train off that track, put it on a different track going in a whole different direction and yeah. pushed, pushed it hard and then filled the train full of amazing people who are perfect for me at this time in my life. That's an amazing analogy. I love that. I love that to bits. So what's Carl doing now then? As well as opening up to the universe yeah that's, that's all part of it I, I, um, mm. so two things um, in business um, for the last mm. two years I've been working on a business which has just launched about four months ago um, called One Click Websites yep. OneClickWebsites.co and basically it's like a Wix or Squarespace type business but for businesses so right. um, it's business specific in that it gives you all of the kind of all of the cool online sales tools that businesses need today to start and grow a business online. So the reason it started was a bit like the last one, I was looking around me and I was using a webinar company. I was paying money for that, $100 a month. And I was using an email company and I was using a website company and I was using a sales funnel company and about six other different companies to try and do what I wanted to do. I was paying about $1,000 a month for all these different softwares with 10 different logins. And I thought, hang on a minute. I built a software system in yes. the UK. I've got a bit of background. Right, yeah. which, well, yeah. which went all right. Surely yeah. I've got it in me to build something that does all of this stuff in one place with one login for a lot less money. So that's what it is. One click websites is, is uh, all of that stuff that you have to do elsewhere, all in one place for a tenth of the price. Excellent. Yeah, and I've just started um, a, uh, it's called a Retiring Five Multimillionaire um, uh, Group live mentoring program right and um, which is which is the which is the the culmination of that that may letting that mm. light out and what's that so um look you know there's a lot of coaches online business coaches online and this kind of stuff and, and what it is the current marketplace has it's just you know buy my video course you buy a video course and you sit there and you watch someone talking mm. generically about business and how to sell and then you have to go home and somehow apply that to your own business right and yeah the number of people you speak to who go and see you know tony robbins he's great or, or all these other guys and they, but they'll go and see these people or buy all these courses and you know years later you say well how much money are you making how's your business going are you they say oh, i haven't started a business yet yes all right well why did you go and pay all the money to all those guys if you haven't had, if you haven't yeah, done, anything, yeah. done anything with that. So I wanted to do something which actually is um, is the doing of it all. Yeah. So the mentoring program is an eight-week program, and then there's 12 months of support after that from me. So it's live twice a week. So I'm only taking 20 people. It's only a small intake. Have you got the 20? 
Uh, I literally launched it yesterday, just kicked right. off yesterday. So I've had about four phone calls already from people um, who are interested in the course and want to talk more about it. So yeah. um, hopefully I'll get the 20, you know, but if I yeah. get close to that, I'll be happy. Um, and it's live. So, you know, uh, twice a week, one, one week is, one day is learning. So for instance, tonight we're going to talk about sales and I'm not just going to tell you about how to sell. I'm going to tell you how to sell for your business. Yeah. And then you're going to go and do it. And then yeah. we're going to see how you did and then we're going to tweak it and we're going to make it work for your business. So it's specific to the individual that's, that that's I'm working funny. with. Yeah. And that's for eight weeks. Um, and the whole, the whole plan is I'm just going to give you everything, everything that I've got, everything that I know, mm. everything that I've learned in eight weeks. And then we're going to do it together over the next 10 months. So there's 12 months, 20 people. I'm going to absolutely transform their lives through business. Um, and in a selfish way, it's not that... Uh, it's not that um, I realized that the buzz I get, you see the way I light up when I start talking yeah, about yeah, this? Yeah. The buzz that I get selfishly is not from the fact that I'm helping other people and the difference it makes to their lives, which I know sounds terribly selfish. It's the fact that I get to feel that buzz and use my imagination and mm. that for myself every day. So I get to wake up 100%. and do that thing that I love, even though I'm doing it for someone else. Yep. Oh, it's like taking a pill. Yeah. Um, so that's why it's live. That's why it has to be live for me. Yeah. Well, there's, um, there's a level of thinking that, you know, your growth will only go so far and then there's a tipping point where it, it goes into contribution, which is right. giving. Um, I've experienced this with, um, like, you only listen to so many podcasts before it's like, shit, I need to do something. And then after a period of time of doing something, then it's like, oh, I need to go and share this. And that's almost like the completing of the journey. Yeah, and, and the, the, and the, the way I brought the, the spiritual or universal power thing that I'm feeling now into my life is that um, the giving there is that, you know what, if you don't want to pay me whatever it costs to come on my course, um, you can still book. If I've got hours in my day, I have a free diary and mm. you can go online and you can book an hour of time with me. Um, I was on the phone last night with someone from America, a lady that I'd never met before, and, and, and I'll sit, you can tell me about your business online on a Zoom chat for free, yeah. and I'll just give you everything I've got. I'll help you in that hour with whatever help you need. Yeah. And all I ask is that you just write a little review on my Facebook page saying, you know, Carl, yeah. help me with this or that. And that's, um, I'm doing that for free. I'll always do that for free. Yeah. Um, and um, it feels absolutely beautiful to kind of connecting with these people. I was talking to a beautiful lady the other day. She's a psychic and she wanted to grow her psychic business. Didn't know how. She's in England, never met her before. And at the end of the call, she knew what to do. She knew how to do it. Yeah. Um, and that connection, that exchange of energy, you know, there's no money involved for me. I don't need the money. That's not what, that's not what it's about. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm loving, loving every second of doing that. Outstanding. Outstanding. So, what have you learned about yourself in this journey? Wow. Okay. I've learned that, um, that, you know, life is not about money. Life mm. is not about money. I used to think it was. I used to think money, if I had enough money, everything would be solved, right? It's not about that. Mm. Um, I've learned that, um, and I think you have to... What's your relationship with money now? Oh, I'm cool with money. I, I'm, I'm totally fine with it, you know? It's, um, uh, Susie, my wife, has a problem. She had a problem with it. She had a problem before having mm. money because she was made a multimillionaire at the same time I was because I split, I gave her half of everything. Yeah. So, because we, you know, that's, that's our marriage. So she was catapulted into this situation as well. And um, so she really struggled with it. She, she wouldn't talk about it either. She, you know, the school mums and all this kind of stuff. It's not something that she was embarrassed, you know. Um, she was embarrassed by it. How funny is that? Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas I was, I never had a problem with it because I'd earned it. 
Yeah. You know, it wasn't like mm. I won the lottery or I, you know, robbed a bank or something. Like I'd worked 20 years for that money. So I have no problem mm. being confident about the fact that, you know, this is me and, I, and I've earned that. And, uh, but now when I talk to people, I, hopefully I don't come across like a show off or a big head or whatever. There's that thing again. Now when I talk to people, if, if, if I see that they're interested, I'll use my experiences to try and motivate or mm. support or help them on whatever journey they're going on. Awesome. And so going back to my question, what have you learned about yourself? What have I learned? Okay, this is, this is uh, I've learned that um, human beings, this is through my own experience, um, if you remove the money, which I was able to, um, so I, I had a choice. I could wake up in the morning and do whatever I want, right? Yeah. So I learned that I need an Everest. So I yeah. think humans, everyone needs their own Everest. They need to have a point, whether it's business or life, that they're striving to get to mm. and that they're working towards. And I met a great guy once, someone said, you know, how do you climb Everest, mate? And he said, just one step at a time mm. and you get to the top. So I think human beings need an Everest to, to be striving towards something yeah. that they go towards. I think I found that routine brings me great happiness. Yep. When I was just floating around, I, I, you know, that didn't help. So now I take the kids to school, I go to the gym, I eat, yep. you know, I work. Um, I'll have a couple of live calls with people, you know, the kids come home, I'll play with them, build a Lego set, whatever, put them to bed, and I'm in bed by nine o'clock. And now my routine is I'm up early going to these swims with the Human Excellence Project. So I found that um, having an Everest, you know, something to aim towards, something to build, something to create, um, and routine. Um, uh, and the biggest one that I've learned recently is community and love and mm. connection, huge. I didn't realize how much I needed, we need, you know, to be hugged by other people, yes. you know, every day. And, you know, and to- You certainly get that going to the Human Excellence Project. You do. <laughs> it's a shock, hey? it's, it's a shock. Mm. And it's, it's very, it's abrasive. You go, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. Um, I've never done this before, but soon you just want to hug everyone because you understand, you understand that that's yeah. what you need. I need yeah. more hugs. I need to meet more people. I need, you know, I don't care if you've got money, you haven't got money, what car you drive. I don't care about that shit anymore. Yeah. I want to just talk to you. I want to hear you. I want to help you, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's what's changed for me. So having an Everest, having routine brings happiness. Um, forget the money. Um, and um, living your soul, living authentically yourself. So, um, you know, I believe that everyone has a soul, that we are all souls and we have. For instance, you were podcasting. We were talking about this earlier, right? That's yeah. your soul's purpose. This is what you're here to do. This is what yeah. you know. This is what lights up your soul when you do it. So you know, if you if you're not wake up, waking up in the morning and feeling powerful, yeah, because you found that thing, then you need to change what you're doing and yes. find that thing. Awesome. What's the next? What's the next two or three years look like? Come. I'm going to keep building my website company. Uh, honestly, I think I'll be acquired by a much bigger company um, in two or three years from now. Mm -hmm. Go through that process again. Um, um, I um, will keep doing my uh, mentoring, hopefully, um, when that goes well, um, probably a couple of times a year, um, just to keep that buzz going. Um, not having any more kids, I know that. And. And then we'll see what happens after that. Um, you know, just personally for fun, I started taking helicopter lessons um, last year. 
I can, I can take off and hover and move around a bit and then I have to stop. So um, I'd like to get back into that. I'd like to push myself in some areas and maybe get my pilot's license and yep. do a bit of that part-time um, and just uh, continue to on this amazing, amazing train journey that I'm on and being pushed in this direction and, you know, of human connection and spirituality, which is um, amazing. And I just want to keep keep um, on that track. Mm. One of the questions I ask my guests at the end is if you could upload a single nugget into the collective consciousness so everybody just gets it, what would that be? Okay. Okay. So for years, I've been talking about something called the universal consciousness. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned it yourself, a collective consciousness. Yes. So this is a thing. It works. I can't tell you how it works, but it's the one thing that will change everyone's life if they adopt, if they adapt it. Right. Mm. And I, I've used this my entire life. I don't know how it worked. It's like magic. Universal consciousness, right? You pick something that you want to be or something that you want to do and you take yourself as quickly as possible to a point where you don't believe it, you know it's going to happen. Yeah. Then you tell everyone else around you that that's going to happen. Yeah. And this beautiful thing happens. Something called, it's a thing called harmonic resonance. So when you share and you tell other people yeah. who you are going to be, and when you are going to be that person or the life that you want or what you want, whatever it is, all of these other people that you tell, everyone, they subconsciously believe it too. And they help you subconsciously create that future for yourself without even knowing it. They will help bring it to you. Um, it's called universal consciousness. It has played out. I use it every single day of well, my life unwittingly not consciously before. consciously yeah it it, it 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 i've been doing it for years consciously it works i don't know how it works you know people call it the secret people call it the law of attraction there's a, there's a, whatever you want to call it i'm just saying it works like i you know, living proof that it works i've been doing it for 20 years yeah and i have a, i physically have a picture in my mind of where i'm going to be um, and I touch it and feel it and I smell it um, and I put myself there um, and I know I'm going there and there's no doubt in my mind um, and then I tell people that as well and they help you do they help even without even knowing they're walking around and they're helping you be that person um, but if you don't tell anyone if you don't know it you don't know it for yourself and you don't tell anyone um, it'll take so much longer to come and it might never come outstanding Carl it's been a amazing pleasure to talk to you today you too Bryn thank you it really really has there's um, the fact that you've gone and done what you've done and the things that you say is is it's just it's very strong thank it's you very strong and because I find sometimes with conversations I end up in, not on the podcast, but outside of the podcast. I find sometimes conversations I end up in, sometimes um, spirituality and believing in something bigger and something like that can also be a nice, safe haven to go into so you can ignore the rest of the world as well. Mm. Yet, 
you've been out there, you've done stuff, you've achieved stuff, it's opening up, you can see how it all comes together. Um, yeah, it's really, really strong. Thank you. <laughs> it's been an absolute privilege to listen to. Thank you, thank you for having me on. There you go. Thank you very much, man. Thank you, Bryn. <laughs>